0: is the nature, is the name of that video. <laughs> For the last several weeks, we've been in a series on the seven deadly sins called The Dark Walk. And over the last few weeks, we've talked about anger, wrath. We've talked about envy and avarice, this unbridled materialism. We've talked about Pride and how it's a spiritual cancer. Last week we talked about how sloth will slowly, uh, you know, or it will slow down your walk toward Jesus. And we're concluding that series today by talking about lust and gluttony, our appetites just out of control. It will not surprise you that today's message is a PG-13 sermon. So if you have a person, a young person here with you, and uh, they're not developmentally ready to handle talking about lust and gluttony, Uh, In just a second, I'm going to pray, and you can take them down the hall to Kid Rock, and we'll have a blast uh, down there. Um, You may have noticed the uh, title of today's message, uh, Appetite for Destruction, that is an intentional allusion to the 1987 Guns N' Roses album uh, that pretty much put that band on on the charts, and that's intentional. We're not going to play any of their music today. Relax. But they pretty much embodied this philosophy. They pretty much lived it out of just letting your appetites just completely control your life. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. If you're joining us for the first time here at Chapel Rock, thanks for being here. When we're all done, I'd love to meet you. I'll be right down here. Please come down and say hi. And if you're joining us online, thanks for logging in from wherever you are. We'd love to have you visit us if you're local. And if you would, take a second and fill out the online connection card. Just click in the upper right portion of your screen, and it'll be there. And regardless, of, you know, if you've been here for 50 years, we still want you to fill that out each week. So if you would, te- uh, fill that out, tear it off, stick leave it in the pew, and our ushers will uh, collect it later. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we're coming together today in peace and safety and freedom, and we just want to recognize that and thank you for that. Uh, We pray for our brothers and sisters in the persecuted church around the world, God. Um, Just ask you to make them strong for their trial and and ask you to help us use every freedom and privilege that we have uh, for the sake of the gospel. Uh, Jesus, I pray that as we look at something today, um, that can be difficult, can be uncomfortable, can really uh, touch at the um, <laughs> the deepest corners of people 's hearts, those darkest places where, where we don't want to let the light shine. Uh, Jesus, I pray that you would speak to us today through your word, that we would open up our heart, that we would allow you to, to speak into our life, to, to speak into our pain and into those desires that threaten to just destroy us. Help us, Jesus, to love you more than we love any of that stuff. It's in your name we pray. Amen. I want you to see your need for this message. So let's meet lust and gluttony.
1: Do you want to know how to be happy? Here it is. Make your pleasures your top priority. Take what you want, even things that God knows you need, food, possessions, sex, and indulge. Take those things from this world. How can things that be bad for you? How can things that be, let me rephrase that. How can something that is so good be wrong? Do what feels good. Who am I? (laughs) Call me what you want. Lust? Gluttony? Addiction? Indulgence? It doesn't matter. I am the inability to say no. I am the enemy of the annoying fruit of self-control. I keep you so preoccupied with your... mm, do-it-yourself happiness project, that you will obsess and eventually cut yourself off from the only thing that could ever fill your growing void in the heart. I plant little seeds of temptation everywhere. I promise that you will forget your emptiness with this momentary escape. Can't you feel the intense craving that needs to be satisfied? Can't you feel the electric sensation of pleasure as you gorge yourself on excess? Can't you feel the addictive call that draws you to think only of yourself and your happiness? You aren't hurting anyone but yourself, right? I make you stuff yourself full of the appetizer that is this fleeting walk on earth so that you have no room left for your eternal main course. You might as well laugh in the face of God as you worship your idol of pleasure. But really, friends, it's on you. You know that it's wrong. You do it anyway whether you laugh among your friends that you ate too much or you hide the credit card bills from your spouse because you spent too much, or you delete your browser history from your computer because you don't want anyone to see that you discovered too much. Those are your choices. And now, well, it's your guilt to bear. And it is powerful! If you want to be happy, you're going to need to hide this. What would people think if they knew? Your burden is so heavy. You have spoiled the temple of your body that was bought with such a high price. The blood of your Jesus. Will even God take you back now? I'm lust. I'm gluttony. If you can't control me, I'll control you. Deny yourself? Are you crazy? Listen, listen to me. I will make you so happy. Trust me. What have you got to lose? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Krista said, that's supposed to creep you out a little bit. I realize that a message on this topic uh, will make some people uncomfortable. Um, it, it, It reminds me of the story of a pastor who decided to preach on sex one Sunday. He planned that, and as the day approached, he got more and more nervous about this topic. And, and so the day came, and he was kind of fretting about having to preach this message, and he got up that morning, he was getting ready, and his wife said, uh, what, what, are you, what are you preaching on today? <laughs> and she was not feeling well, she wasn't going to go to church, she was going to stay home, and she said, what are you preaching on? And he got nervous, he freaked out, he goes, uh, uh, sailing, and walked out the door. Well, the next day, she goes to Walmart to pick up a prescription, runs into somebody from church. And her friend says, hey, we missed you yesterday, but I want you to tell your husband that his message really helped me with something I'm dealing with. And she said, he doesn't know what he's talking about. He's only done it twice. The first time he got sick and the second time he lost his hat. So I get that this can make people uncomfortable. (laughs) But I think what God wants to teach us through his word is so important that it's worth the discomfort. Here's what I want you to get out of this today. Believing lies about your appetites will destroy you, but submitting them to Jesus will grow you. Believing lies about your appetites will destroy you, but submitting them to Jesus will grow you. So how does that happen? How do our natural desires, like for food or sex, get warped or, and twisted? Well, the answer is that we have believed three lies about desire. And so what we want to do today is track out those three destructive lies about desire. When we accept these lies as true, It essentially warps and corrupts something that God created ultimately to be a blessing. It's supposed to bless us, and it turns it into a curse. It's supposed to be a good thing, and it turns it into something that controls you. So what are these three destructive lies that make us walk in darkness? Here's the first one, number one. I'm basically good. Many people believe the lie that they're basically a good person, and therefore their desires must be basically okay, right? That, that's the next logical conclusion. I'm basically a good person. I probably wouldn't want anything really wrong, and therefore what I want is pretty much all right, right? Right? That's how that works. And the problem is, that's a lie. And here's why it's a lie. Nobody is objectively good. No one is basically good. No one is intrinsically good except God. Ecclesiastes 7.20 says this. Indeed, there is no one on earth who is righteous. And no one who does what is right and never sins. (laughs) Well, there was this one guy name is Jesus but other than that we believe this lie that well I'm basically a good person and I probably wouldn't want anything wrong and it's a lie you can have wrong appetites you can desire things for yourself that are not good And the inspired writers of the Bible viewed our natural desires that God gave us, our physical hunger, our sexual desire, as potentially wonderful things. But they also knew that our desires had the power to corrupt us and control us. And there are two powerful passages in the Old Testament that speak to this. In the first one, God is building his case against Israel. He's getting ready to judge Israel. And we read this, God is really putting words in their mouth. Of course, the one who sees our hearts knows what they're thinking. And we read this in Isaiah 56, verse 12. This is them talking, this is Israel talking. It's, by the way, it's their leaders in the context. Come, each one cries. Let me get wine. Let us drink our fill of beer. And tomorrow will be like today, or even far better. Do you hear what they're saying? What this is, is this is the destructively blind, unmitigated, but falsely placed optimism of raw, of raw appetite. This is, this is the idea that says there's no such thing as too much of a good thing. And so I want it, and let's get more of it. And Solomon, the wisest man who's ever lived apart from Jesus... Knew how empty that is. Look at what he writes in Ecclesiastes 6, verse 7. Everyone's toil is for their mouth, yet their appetite is never satisfied. What advantage have the wise over fools? What do the poor gain by knowing how to conduct themselves before others? Better what the eye sees than the roving of the appetite. This too is meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Our culture's desire for pornography and our addiction to cheap, greasy, junk food ultimately come from the same place. People have believed the lie that if they want a a constant diet of, you know, bad for you, heart attack inducing calorie bombs, it ought to be okay because that's what I want and I'm not really a bad person and this must be okay, right? And in the same way, and in a far more destructive sense, people believe that if they have a sexual desire for something, it ought to be okay because I'm basically a good person and I wouldn't want anything bad for me, even if it's for someone of my own gender or a child or something not even human. Basically, a good person? I wouldn't want anything bad, would I? It's a lie. You can have desires that are wrong. You can want things that are bad for you. That's the first lie. Here's the second one. I feel good about it. (laughs) The second destructive lie that people believe is that their own feelings and opinions are the ultimate gauge of right and wrong. It feels good. It must be right. Right? Wrong. This is the argument from relativism that as long as you feel good about it, it's okay. I have a good feeling about this. <laughs> this one. I have peace about it. <laughs> Gag. The Bible says that the heart is deceitful. You might feel good about it, and your heart doesn't make it right. See, the problem with this, relativism, just because something feels good, doesn't make it right. According to Charles Manson, plotting a murder after an orgy feels good, It doesn't mean it's Right? Ultimately, this is the road to situation ethics. Deciding what's right based on the situation. Situation ethics is a philosophy that was developed in the 1960s by the then Episcopal priest, Joseph Fletcher. It basically states that some moral principles like fidelity, being faithful to your spouse, temperance, controlling your appetites, Those principles can be cast aside in certain situations if you listen to me, listen, feel like it's more loving to do so. Fletcher wrote a book called Situation Ethics. A copy of it here, my library. Situation Ethics The New Morality (laughs) by Joseph Fletcher. This book was picked up um, and read by a young man who fully implemented Fletcher's principles. His name, was Hugh Hefner, founder of Playboy. And if you want a perfect illustration of the moral bankruptcy of our culture, you look at a culture that celebrates the life of Hugh Hefner upon his passing a couple weeks ago and demonizes Harvey Weinstein for the same thing. Situation ethics. It feels good, so I'm going to do this. a lie, and if you let it, that lie will twist your appetites into destroying you. There's another lie that people believe. Well, I have the right to do this. I have the right to do it. This third lie basically says that if something is legal, it's okay. In other words, doing X, fill in the blank, whatever that is, is morally acceptable because we have a legal right to do it. The problem with that is, anyone who's ever actually read a history book can tell you that's a lie. The problem with believing that just because it's legal, it's okay, it is fundamentally, it's proven to be a lie just by looking at history. One time in this country, slavery was legal, but not right. Right? At one time in this country, segregation was legal, but not right. In Nazi-occupied Europe, killing a Jew was legal, but not right. Just because it's legal doesn't mean it's moral. And if you want an example of that, consider this. It is perfectly legal for a 40-year-old man to leave his 40-year-old wife and trade her in for two 20-somethings. Totally legal. Completely immoral. Because his appetite is telling him, that's what I want. So I'm going to do that. Doesn't mean it's right. Just because it's legal doesn't mean it's moral. And in our own culture, we have a place that has combined lust and gluttony into a celebration of all three of these lies. It's a restaurant in Las Vegas called the Heart Attack Grill. Have you heard of this place? This restaurant is known for selling flatliner fries cooked in pure lard, butterfat milkshakes, no-filter cigarettes, and a burger known as the Quadruple Bypass Burger. And they're committed to living out their name. In 2012, a woman was eating a double bypass burger, lathered in cheese and bacon and smoking unfiltered cigarettes when she collapsed and was taken to the hospital. A Heart Attack Grill was founded in 2005 in in Tempe, Arizona. It's now moved to Las Vegas by a man named John Basso with the declared intent of, and this is a direct quote from him, serving nutritional pornography, end quote. Owner John Basso said he wishes the customer who got hurt a swift and full recovery, but he added the woman got exactly what she asked for, a brush with death. He went on to say we attract thrill seekers and risk takers. He says, my restaurant is bad for you, but it's fun. (laughs) How how many times have we told ourselves that lie? He says his restaurant, quote, attracts people who don't really take good care of their health, end quote. And they do it by combining lust and gluttony. You see all the waitresses there dress very seductively from what I gather. Um, they They combine these two things. They sell a quadruple bypass burger. Here's a picture of it. Th- this, <laughs> this but Now, let me tell you, they go up to octuple twice this much, okay? I want you to listen. To th- this menu item has four half-pound beef patties, 20 strips of bacon, eight slices of American cheese, a whole tomato, half an onion, served on a bun coated with lard, and it has just under 10,000 calories, That's four days' worth of food, maybe five, depending on how much you limit your diet. This restaurant offers free meals if you weigh more than 350 pounds. They will feed your addiction for free. The owner said, I tell you, we attract the bleeding edge. We attract the avant-garde of risk-takers. And over the years since 2005, four people have paid for that risk with their lives. This restaurant has killed four people. That's what walking in the darkness of lust and gluttony looks like. This is what the writer of Proverbs is warning us about in depicting or imaging human desire as an adulterous woman. We read in Proverbs 7:26, look at this, many are the victims she has brought down. Her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is a highway to the grave leading down to the chambers of death. Now, you need to understand, listen, listen, if you think I am only talking to morbidly obese people who sleep around and can't wait to go look at porn, you are missing the point. The point is, if your appetites control you and not the other way around, this is something you're dealing with. if there's a place in your life where your desire is destroying you, this is something you're wrestling with. In the monologue, you saw the end result. You saw this depiction at the very end of the road, but y'all, I don't know about you, but I've been far enough down that road to know where it goes for both of those sins and it's destruction. If your appetites of any kind run your life, this message is for you. If you believe these, desires, these lies about your desires, it will destroy you. So what's the remedy? Well, the only one truth will destroy these lies. And this, the truth is this, you need a healthy diet of more Jesus you want to get rid of these lies in your life, you want to quit believing this garbage, you need a healthy diet of more Jesus. See, the good news is that Luke 7.34 tells us that Jesus is the friend of gluttons and prostitutes and sinners. The good news that we have to tell our our culture is that Jesus is the friend of people. Like, if you're wrestling with that, if you have a desire that controls your life, you need to understand Jesus loves you. Right now, just as you are. He loves you too much to let you stay that way, though. Jesus is the friend of people who wrestle with these things. But he doesn't want to see you believe lies anymore. He wants you to know the truth. And the truth is the only way out of that darkness, the only way back into the light, is a steady diet of more Jesus. There's a passage in 1 Peter that will help us do this. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. You see, human appetite, both for healthy food and physical union with one's spouse, is a gift from God. He made those appetites. And like any good manufacturer, He has given us an instruction manual on how to use His product. (laughs) When we use our appetites according to His instructions, they are good, they're healthy. And the way that you get to the point where they don't run you anymore, that they don't control your life anymore, is to be more hungry for Jesus. I want you to hear me. When your hunger for Jesus is greater than your hunger for food or sex, those desires won't control you anymore the way out, the way into the light, the way out of the darkness is to learn to desire Jesus more than you want that food that you know is bad for you, more than you want that other, the body of that other person in intimacy that's not your spouse, more than you want the glow of electric sex from the screen. You've got to want Jesus more because when you want him more, you won't believe those lies. And if you're struggling with your desire for food or sex, if your appetites are destroying you. Listen, you're not gonna have victory with willpower alone. It's not enough. They tried it already. It's called the law of Moses and it didn't work. Only one guy ever kept it all and he died on the cross in your place for your sins so that you could have life, so that you could grow and not be destroyed. The only way to win is to desire Jesus more than you want that stuff. So how do we do that? Well, let's look at what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 4. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. That sounds like an appetite for destruction, doesn't it? They're surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse on you. If you choose to live differently, you will get made fun of. Spoiler alert, it's going to happen but they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. Listen, I think Peter is giving us a healthy diet on how to get more Jesus in our lives. See, in this passage, I can break down really what he's saying into three kind of main instructions or three courses of this meal. Here's the first one, number one. You need to rewire your desire. You see this in verse one and two. Peter tells us to have the same mindset as Jesus when it comes to our attitudes about our desires. That in our fallenness, we tend to view any privation from what we want, either from food that we want or our sexual appetites, we tend to view this as some horrible trial. Like, oh, it's so bad, I'm not getting what I want. Before the face of our Father God, we act like spoiled brats. <laughs> how many of you, don't raise your hands, how many of you have ever used this term, I'm starving? <laughs> Debbie and I got away this weekend, we're flying back, we're in the airport. I told her, I'm so hungry. It's like, you just smelled food. That's your only, just shut up. You're fine. They're going to get peanuts and crackers in a minute. Just be quiet. It's Southwest, so that's all you get. But still, um, we've got to start learning to think differently about what we want. You've got to learn to rewire your desire. Peter is saying here that because Jesus suffered in his body, That you need to reorient your desires, reorient your attitude about the physical things that you want. Do not automatically assume that your desires are good. Learn to critique your physical appetites. For some of you, you need to learn the spiritual discipline of fasting. And it doesn't have to be just not eating. Some people have fasted from sleep. I'm going to spend the night awake in prayer. Jesus did that. Paul, in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul talks about fasting from sex. If you're married with your spouse for a time and for the, for the reason of prayer, but say, you know what, let's just be apart for a while so we can pray. To discipline yourself, to discipline that appetite. You've got to learn to think, to rewire your desire about your appetites. And I, I can't recommend that principle that, uh, enough, that practice enough of fasting. If this is an area where you're struggling, you need to do that. The second thing that we need to do here, the second instruction that Peter gives us is to leave the past behind. Look at what he says. Basically, in verse 3 through 5, he's basically saying, you know, y'all have sinned enough. (laughs) you've, You've done that enough. Let's just leave that in the past where it belongs. If that's in your past, leave it there. If you're here this morning... And you would say, yeah, I'm guilty of gluttony. There's been times in my life when, when my, my physical hunger, my stomach, it ran my life. I couldn't walk by a dessert tray without stopping. If you're here today and, and you're addicted to pornography or, or you're in an affair, it's time to repent of lust, of gluttony, And receive the forgiveness that Jesus gave you? You need to understand on a hill outside Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, that sin was dealt with. So leave it there. Leave it in the past. Peter says, You've you've spent enough time doing that, leave it back there. He, He talks about it in the past tense. If you have repented of your sin, you are forgiven. Jesus has taken that away. If you're a glutton or if your sex drive runs your life and you surrender that to Jesus, he will forgive you. He already has. You just need to receive what he's already given. And then the third thing is to feast on the grace of God. In verse 6, Peter makes an appeal to the gospel. He tells us that when Jesus died on the cross in our place for our sins and rose again, that because of that, we are going to be judged by the world according to human standards. Yes, if you live like this, they're going to make fun of you. If you learn to discipline your diet, if you learn to discipline your your sex drive, the world will make fun of you. I got teased in junior high because I wouldn't make the same jokes about girls that the other guys did in the locker room. They called me a fag. They called me queer because I'd made a choice to honor God with my body and be pure for Debbie on her wedding day. And by the grace of God, and only by the grace of God, not for lack of opportunity, I kept that commitment. You will get made fun of. But if you learn to feast on the grace of God, to desire it more than you want anything else, you would learn to walk out of the darkness and walk in the light. If you would feast on the grace of God, If you would surrender more and more of your life to the control of the Spirit, then you will experience grace, that you will show it to other people. Listen, when we do this, we learn how to have more love and more joy and more peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. It's what the Spirit does in us. When you feast on the grace of God, you begin to have more and more of this fruit in your life. So let me give you three real simple steps on how to do that. Number one, you need to learn this prayer. Learn this prayer. Jesus, help me want you more than I want whatever it is you would put in that blank. Jesus, help me want you more than I want cake, if that's your deal. Jesus, help me want you more than I want that bacon double cheeseburger. Jesus, help me want you more than I want my neighbor's wife. Jesus, help me want you more than I want some random girl on the internet or guy. You learn to pray that prayer. Jesus, help me want you more than I want this. You you learn to say to the enemy when you're tempted, that's not me anymore. (laughs) On Tuesday, we will celebrate the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. It was on October 31st, 500 years ago, Martin Luther nailed his 95 sentences to the church door at Wittenberg. 500 years. And the story about Martin Luther that I love is when the enemy was tempting him, when Satan would come to him and tempt him, he would, he would cry out, but I am baptized. What he's saying is, that's not me anymore. In the waters of baptism, that person died. And Jesus is raising a new one. And then you learn to say this, love, is better than lust. Grace is better than gooey butter cake. You learn to understand what what true, truly is better. C.S. Lewis said, lust is a poor, weak, whimpering thing compared with the richness and energy of desire which will arise when lust has been killed. Only Jesus can do that in you. Will you let him? Will you let him lead you out of the darkness? Did you get the big idea today? Believing lies about your appetites will destroy you, but submitting them to Jesus will grow you. You've got an opportunity to respond to this word from God today. Maybe your need is going to be to say, you know what, I, I, I know I need something, I'm just not sure what. And so in a minute, when we stand and sing together, please go to the next step room. We've got leaders there who will talk with you. Maybe you've got a pressing thing in your life right now, and it has nothing to do with what we've talked about, but God's moving in your heart. We're going to have decision counselors down front who are ready to pray with you. Maybe you're here today, and you've been walking in darkness way too long, and you're ready to let Jesus change your life. If that's where you're at, if you're ready to give your life to Jesus and surrender it to him, and and, and really receive true life, Then you come as we sing together. Would you stand with me and you respond as God leads you?